Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five. Welcome in to another edition of Fizz 5 here on Orange Fizz. Again, you can find us at Orange Fizz on Twitter and at orangefizz.net. A lot to get to today, and here to break it down with me is Ethan Frank. I'm Johnny's. we got five topics, as always, here on Fizz 5. We're talking football. We're talking women's lacrosse. Really, actually, a lot of football and a lot of lacrosse. That's pretty much all we're talking about today. No basketball talk, really, to speak of. We might get into it a little bit later on, but we're going to really start with football. And I know it's only May, but, you know, it's all around. The hype is all around. Okay. And a lot of people are very excited about the Syracuse football team, Syracuse football program, but diesel, if you don't know, Ethan Frank, we call him diesel. So diesel, some not so good news here to begin May to begin the week on this fine Monday night. When you're listening to it, so it'll probably be Tuesday, but whenever you're listening to it, the news, it doesn't matter. It's still bad. Number one, Justin Lampson projected backup quarterback. Some people think he could be the starting quarterback out indefinitely with a non-contact knee injury. If you haven't heard of this guy, just pull up the Syracuse football spring game because he lit up the Syracuse defense and really looked like the only potent Syracuse quarterback with an arm, but now he's injured and we don't know how long he's going to be out for. This is some pretty bad news for Dino Babers and company. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to mention, John. It's great to be with you here this evening, and and uh, I'm sure we'll have a great time over these next 20 minutes or so. But you were at that spring game. What exactly did you see from Lampson that made him so effective? Really nothing special. It's as simple as the guy can throw a pass 40, 50 yards downfield and complete it. But what was even more impressive is that he was even throwing the passes 40 and 50 yards downfield. So uh, really just somebody – in the quarterback room that can be a threat with his arm. Nobody else in this roster can do that. Jacoby and Morgan can't Garrett Schrader can't um, who else is even in this quarterback room. I don't even, can you name one more other than those three? Markowitz is gone. He's gone. Um, no, Cole Pepper's out. Uh, Lenora Sellers is coming in next year. Really big time recruit in the 2023 class. I think it's really just those three. Uh, yep. Tommy DeVito, of course, at Illinois, I saw him throw some kind of a flutter ball in their spring game. And some people were like, oh, my God, he completed a downfield shot. Uh, the pass was thrown behind him, and it was an absolute worm burner, as Ian Unsworth would say. It was not a good pass. But what I saw from Justin Lampson was really impressive because he's a dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school. He has the running ability, had the passing ability to go along with that. And you know what? I thought maybe this season we could see something like we saw last year where Garrett Schrader starts the season as the incumbent starting quarterback. But if he struggles in games two and three, I mean, that's where Syracuse needs to be winning its games this year. And I think potentially that's where Lampson could have usurped him, taking that starting role if things weren't working out in the first couple of games. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely because just off of what we saw in that game, Lampson clearly has an ability to throw that Schrader does not. And really the only time we saw, saw Schrader be effective was against Virginia Tech last season. And if Syracuse is in games where it's a shootout and they're going to have to throw the ball in the fourth quarter to win, how much do you trust Garrett Schrader to be able to do that? Justin Lampson would have been that safety net, like you mentioned. And it, it is really unfortunate fortunate especially for a kid who didn't play as a freshman and now as a sophomore likely is not going to play as well so it just puts him behind the eight ball in terms of both his recovery and eligibility 
I found another quarterback in this roster. Of course, I can't believe that I forgot this. Uh, it's Dan Valari, the Michigan transfer. I mean, me of all uh, people should know that. But you know what? I forgot about him because I was at that spring game, and he was less than stellar. I mean, the guy was shaky in the pocket. He got happy feet in there. He threw an interception into the hands of Jihad Carter. Really didn't look that good. So you know what? To kind of tie a bow on this, this Lampson injury, a lot of people think it's an ACL. Uh, that's not confirmed. That's just what we're reading online. If that's the case, he's going to be out for a long time, probably all of the upcoming season. And although he probably wouldn't have been the starter for game one, I talked about the scenario that I saw playing out already. But say Garrett Schrader gets injured because the guy carries the ball 20 times a game because right. he hasn't proven he can throw the ball. It's the only way this offense can move the rock down the field. He gets injured. Who are you putting in? I mean, Jacoby and Morgan has started a couple of games, but since he, you know, got blanked by Louisville 30 to nothing, he has not even seen the field. Dan Valari, a guy that was the third string quarterback in Michigan. And like I already mentioned, did not look good in the spring game. You don't really have anybody else back there that can come in and play quarterback. Luke McPhail, I guess a walk on who? good luck who? with that one. Yeah, I know who exactly. So this definitely hurts depth. It takes a potential starting quarterback off your roster. And if you need a very good backup to be ready to play, he's now gone. He's now on the sidelines with an injury. So it may not seem like this is a big injury to people, but I think come September, come to October, this is going to be massive and magnified. Well, I think it's the point you mentioned earlier in that it's Garrett Schrader's style of play that makes him injury prone. And, you know, what if Garrett Schrader gets a run and his helmet has to come off? Who's You would have trusted Johnson Lampson to come in for that one play. Do you want Dan Valari? Do you want Jacoby and Morgan in on offense for, you know, a snap or two? Well, Garrett Schrader has a helmet, malfun- helmet malfunction on the sidelines. No, you probably don't. But maybe after watching that spring game, Dino Babers and the rest of his offensive staff would have trusted Justin Lampson more. And it really goes back to Garrett Schrader's style of play, just as you mentioned, how many times he carries the ball and acts like a running back. Lampson was that true passing threat. He doesn't pose those same risks that Schrader does. And that's what makes this injury even more you know, important in the long run for Syracuse. So today is May 9th. I want to bookmark this conversation we're having and revisit it on September 9th, heck, even October 9th, because Syracuse has a gauntlet of a schedule coming up, and that's what we're talking about in topic number two. Number two. The Orange opening up the season with Louisville inside the Dome early on in September. And top to bottom, Sans Yukon and Wagner Diesel, this schedule is absolutely loaded with top competition. Every single team that Syracuse has on its 2022 slate, minus the two teams I already mentioned, which is obvious, ranked inside ESPN FPI's top 65 coming into this season. So I went ahead and did this fun little activity trying to rank the difficulty of each game that Syracuse has. I'll give you the first two because these are obvious. Wagner, UConn, 12 and 11. But I mean, broad strokes perspective, before we get into the nitty gritty of the rankings and stuff beyond the first two, I mean, what are you thinking with this schedule? I am. You have Florida state at 10. This is Florida state. Like when you think Florida state football, you're like, that's probably one of the 15 or 10 best teams in the country. And obviously they have not been as good recently, but you still have the name recognition of Florida state just as a college football fan, what that program is and has been for decades. And to see that at 10, it's like, there must be some pretty good teams on this Syracuse schedule. Just like you mentioned, it really is a gauntlet. John Eads and Ethan Frank on Fizz 5 this week. You can find all of our content at Orange Fizz on Twitter, orangefizz.net for articles and more podcasts and whatnot. When I tweeted this link out on Twitter, 
because that's what you do. You tweet on Twitter. I got a reply exactly like you were saying. Uh, I forget who it was, but someone said, you know, Florida State is at 10. Uh, that's kind of a problem. And, and I get that. Now, Florida State has not been the Florida State of old the past couple of years. Syracuse was a Marlow Wax missed tackle away last year from taking down the Seminoles down in, down in Tallahassee. But, you more know, like, what? more like a missed holding call. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah. I, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to debate that more. Diesel, but I get paid by I don't get paid by the hour actually so I'm not gonna go ahead and do that I don't get paid <laughs> at all neither do you uh but anyways I have Florida State at 10 just because they don't have that quarterback threat it's still Jordan Travis Chuba Purdy's not there anymore Mackenzie Milton's gone I don't really know who's gonna play quarterback for the Seminoles um whoever it is not that big of a threat I think so that's why I have them at 10 at nine, I'm dipping into the non-conference slate, and I have Purdue. And I think this could this is a team that could definitely be even higher, maybe a top seven game in terms of difficulty. But the Boilermakers have a very explosive offense. They can pass the ball all over the field. What they don't really have is a great defense. Now, the reason why I could see this game being a top six even difficulty is because they score so many points. Like, these guys score points like it's nobody's business. Syracuse offensively, that's not, how, that's not how they like to play. I know they beat Virginia Tech last year scoring 41, but how this team likes to play football, as you probably know, they like to score 24 points per game, milk the clock, hand the ball off a lot. Now, that could change this year, but until I see it, I'm not believing it with this new offense. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It is going to take a lot of time for this system to be put into place and then effectively executed on the field. So I think, you know, believe it when you see it is the right approach to go when it comes to this offense. And when you look at a team like Purdue, you look at the players that have come into the NFL the last years. You have David Bell, a draft pick at wide receiver. You have Rondell Moore a draft pick at wide receiver. This is a team under Jeff Brom that is producing really effective, dynamic offensive players. And, and there's no one on Syracuse with the talent level of those guys at wide receiver for the Boilermakers. So you just have to take that into account when you think of that as well. You know, when was the last time Syracuse had a skill position player drafted on offense? Purdue's had it in back-to-back -back seasons. So that's what I think you have to take into account with Purdue's offense. It's been a very long time since Syracuse had a skill position player drafted. I can't think to the last time. Now, we know Sean Tucker will be that guy next year whenever he goes to the draft. Hopefully it's next year because if it is, that means he'll have avoided injury and uh, completed his mission, if you will, to what I think should be to get to Syracuse to a bowl game. But anyways, so quadrant run. Quadrant one, just to recap, Wagner, UConn, Florida State, Purdue, the four easiest games for Syracuse, I think, coming up. Now let's move to numbers five through eight. We'll start with Virginia at eight. That's a mid-September matchup. Little revenge game between Robert and I, Jason Beck, and their former team in the Cavaliers. And the Orange don't play Virginia that often. So a nice home game in the Dome there. Seven, I have Pittsburgh on the road in Heinz Field. Now, this definitely would have been a top five at least game in terms of degree of difficulty. But then Jordan Addison decided he wanted some Benjamins and he left the team. Still hasn't announced a destination yet. USC, Alabama, he could play wherever he wants. But that definitely takes a massive um, talent away from Pittsburgh and makes it a bit of an easier matchup because you can't replace Jordan Addison. At six, I have NC State. Now, this one's up for debate because the Wolfpack were really strong last year, beat Clemson in double overtime, won nine games. The reason why it's at six is because this one is at home. Uh, the game at five is on the road. That's Boston College in late November, actually the last game of the season. And if you know anything about Dino Babers, when it comes to the final weeks of October, and early on in November, his teams just fall asleep at the wheel. So 
That's why I have it at five. I, I, I like that strategy because November has been an absolutely brutal month under Dino Babers, as you mentioned. But I think the most interesting thing, why are you more bullish on Virginia than Purdue in terms of difficulty? Because Virginia, a complete coaching staff overhaul. Purdue, you know, they got one of the best co- up-and-coming coaches in the country. It seems like, you know, Brahm's name is mentioned for big jobs, you know, maybe even a jump to the NFL uh, over recent years. Why do you think Syracuse will have more difficulty with Virginia than Purdue, both games that are in the Dome, by the way? It's a good question. I like the coaches that Virginia brought in. Tony Elliott, former Clemson offensive coordinator. I know the Tigers offense was absolutely abysmal last year, but they bring back a lot of good pieces on both sides of the ball. Of course, Brennan Armstrong, 3,000-yard passer last year. How will he adjust to the new system? We'll find out. Was it all about Anai and Beck, or was it more so Armstrong's talent that fueled the success for the Cavaliers? And we're going to find that out. Really, those are pretty interchangeable, I think, 8-9. and I think the reason why I put Virginia ahead is because its defense, I think, is a little bit better than Purdue's. The Boilermakers rely so heavily on winning games with their offense. Virginia, not so much. They have some really talented pieces on that side of the ball, plus some really good skill position talent as well. Purdue's going to have to replace guys like David Bell and some other players at running back and in the other skill positions. So I think the Cavaliers are in a little bit better spot right now than the Boilermakers. That's fair. I, I, I accept your reasoning for that. Thank you. No rebuttal? No rebuttal. All right. It's fair. No rebuttal from Ethan Diesel. Frank, if you guys have a rebuttal, feel free to leave a reply at Orange Fizz on Twitter, or you can leave a comment in the comment section. We monitor that as well. Orangefizz.net. All right. Again, we're recapping the 1 through 12 degree of difficulty for Syracuse's games in 2022 for the football squad. Now we have the top four. I'll give you three and four, then I'll give you one and two. Let's start with three and four. So at four, you want to guess who I have it for? No, because I have the article up in front of me, so I'm not going to guess. Cheating. All right. That would be cheating. I, I respect the integrity, though, so give you points for that one. Uh, so as you can see, Diesel, and you guys as well, if you have the article pulled up at orangefizz.net, Louisville at four, first game of the season for Syracuse. Honestly, I would go as far to put this one up at three because I was doing some reading up on the Cardinals just yesterday, and I'll tell you what, this team is stacked. I have Louisville as a sleeper team to potentially crash the party this year, just like Wake Forest did a little more on them in just a few minutes here. I mean, they got Malik Cunningham back. They bring back a lot of their pieces on defense. Their skill position talent, especially a running back, is unbelievable. And Scott Satterfield continues to just churn along, churn along rather, with this Cardinals squad. Um, and, you know, Coach Babers has not done well against Louisville. He's beaten them one time, and this is now going to be his seventh year coming up. It's hard to argue with that. You know, I haven't done all the research on Louisville myself. It's only, you know, it's only May 9th. Hey, you know, but, me. Uh, crazy. Yeah. When, when it comes to John's research, he's on top of his game. So I'm going to trust you when you say Louisville, you know, I most, most Syracuse fans are like, Oh, we got Louisville in the dome. We've had to play at Louisville the past few years and it has not gone well. We've got Louisville in the dome this year. We've got it early in the season. We play well early in the season. We've got this. You know, that might not be the case because we saw what Malik Cunningham did to Syracuse last year, and that was ugly. I have no idea, honestly. The offense is going to have to score points. I just don't know what this new system is going to look like with Anai and Beck. I mean, we saw a little bit of stuff in the spring game, but that was against the second-team defense mostly. So 
I really have no idea. I put this game at a 60-40 in Louisville's favor, but in this instance, given the history of these two teams and what the Cardinals have done to Syracuse the past two seasons with a lot of the same players that build the nucleus of this Louisville team, I've got the Cardinals winning this game, and it might get ugly. I mean, they are so talented. They're going to put up points. I don't know that Syracuse can. So right now I'm stamping it, Louisville beating Syracuse in the season opener. I'm with you. You've convinced me. You should be, <laughs> you should, uh, you know, maybe if this whole uh, sports podcasting thing doesn't work out, you should pursue a career in law. Law? I law. was thinking you might say real estate or something. <laughs> that too. Deals, you know? Salesman, yeah. All right, I'm going to sell you the last three here. Toughest three games for Syracuse coming up in the fall of 2022. At three, I think this is pretty predictable given what's left on the schedule. At Wake Forest on November 19th, Syracuse taking a trip to Winston-Salem, trying to get some revenge against the team they fell to in overtime last year. But again, it's another game where Syracuse will have to put up points to win or even stay competitive, just like last year. I, I have zero faith that Syracuse will win a road game in November. Zero. I, 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 I don't know why there would be any reason why there would be, just based on the performance of the last two seasons. I, it, it has been ugly. It has been disheartening. It's been disappointing. I have, especially against a team like the caliber of Wake Forest that's returning so much talent, I do not see a way that Syracuse wins this game on November 19th. I think the problem is, you know, they come out hot in the first half of the season. They're at full strength or close to it. But as the season goes along, you know, a couple big injuries here. Left guard goes down, cornerback goes down, linebacker goes down. The difference between Syracuse and other programs like Notre Dame and Clemson they don't have that depth. They don't have that talent that's behind the starters that can step up and play. And I think once it comes to late October and November, the team just falls apart. And I don't think this is a good matchup for Syracuse. At this point, they should be high octane in terms of offense. They should be playing their best football. But Wake Forest is just another animal. And like you said, I did a little bit of research on this last year. The last road game that Syracuse won against an ACC foe in November towards the end of the season was Duke back in 2019. And that was a Blue Devil squad. Yeah, that, that was that. absolutely terrible. Like, if you're thinking about the worst teams in the ACC, Duke and Syracuse, one and two, two and one, it doesn't really matter how you splice it. The worst teams in the ACC. So I'm with you. No faith there. That's why I have it as the third toughest game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, there should be little reason to think Syracuse can compete in that game unless they're on some kind of a magical run. All right, let's finish up with the top two toughest games of the season. Uh, these really shouldn't come as any kind of a surprise. What you could do with me is order, uh, rather argue the order, because I did a little bit of research on Clemson today, and I have the Tigers as the toughest game for Syracuse this fall. But looking into it a little bit further, I have Notre Dame at two, and I might want to switch those two at some point this offseason. What do you think? I, I mean... <laughs> You might disagree. Syracuse has played well in Death Valley, like kind of they well really in have. Death Valley. They really have. Yeah, it feels like they've embraced the elements. Makes no sense. But yeah, it, it really does make no sense. But I, I think this is a bounce back season for Clemson. Dabo may have lost both of his coordinators, but I, I have a hard time believing that that talent will have. It's not even like they had a bad season last year. It was just not up to par with the expectations that were set in the preseason. So I, I have a hard time believing Clemson will not, you know, be at the top of the ACC this year. And, and that is why it's the toughest game. It's on the road. I think, you know, there'll be a great crowd for that Notre Dame game. Um, I think there is a chance Syracuse could win that game. You know, once a season, they show out for a big home crowd <laughs> and, and it, it usually happens once a year. 
Yeah. So maybe it's the Notre Dame game, but Notre Dame will probably have too much talent. But I like the order of Clemson one Notre Dame two. Last year it was Liberty. This year it could be Notre Dame. Clemson, a 10-3 and season last year, like you said, lost offensive coordinator Tony Elliott to Virginia, Brett Venables to Oklahoma. Dabo Swinney's still there, though. I mean, this team has talent. I mean, there's no debate there. That, that should come as no surprise. Their defense is unbelievable. Like, people are talking about this Clemson defense as the best since 2018 when they last won the national title. Their front seven is unreal. They're going to feast against Syracuse. I don't think the Orange are going to score more than – 10 points. I don't even know if they get to 10 in this game. So I don't know where the offense is coming from. I'm sure Clemson can find a way to score more than 10 points with the players they have back. They got a three-headed monster in the running back room. Their biggest question comes at wide receiver, but, you know, they have pieces there. And again, I mean, all, only a couple of points are going to win you this game against Syracuse. When it comes to Notre Dame, I think I put it at two because it is at home. And, you know, honestly... The name brand Notre Dame makes it sound like it's an impossible game to win, but I think Syracuse is more oriented to win this game rather than Clemson or even games like Wake Forest and Louisville because the Fighting Irish have questions at quarterback. They lost Ian Book. They they don't really have a solidified starter back there for next year. They've got Tyler Buckner, who's the leader in the clubhouse right now, former five-star, but he's eh. And Drew Pine as well. Also a new coach in Marcus Freeman, middle of the season, maybe a sleeper game. I don't know. I think that's a more winnable game for Syracuse than Clemson. That's why I have it at one and two. I'm with you, though. Don't sleep on the Fighting Irish. I'm with you. I, I, it's incredible how much we're agreeing so far today. we got to do a little bit of disagreeing. Maybe we can get <laughs> some of that coming up in the lacrosse section. So uh, that's all for football talk. We talked Justin Lampson, his ACL, potential ACL. It's a, it's a knee injury. It's been undisclosed. But he's probably going to be out for the season. That's a big loss for Syracuse. And we even went through the difficulty of every opponent Syracuse football will face in the fall. If you want to check that article out, it's at orangefizz.net. And you can have more information at orangefizz on Twitter as well. Now let's move from the football field to the lacrosse field for topics number three and four. Let's start with three. Number three. All right. So the men's lacrosse national tournament is going on and to nobody's surprise, Syracuse was left off the list because the Orange finished well below 500, and the program is in kind of a tough spot right now with players dropping like flies left and right entering the transfer portal. And what was also crazy is that Notre Dame, the co-ACC regular season champion, was left out of the tournament field completely as well. So Virginia, the only ACC team to get into the field for this year's tournament. And that really ticked a lot of people off, but we're not so much talking about the ACC more so about Syracuse and kind of where this program is at, because it's really not in a good spot. Mentioned it already. Some of the best players on this team entering the transfer portal and next year is not looking good at this point. It, it, it is. I don't even, I can't find the right word to describe because I, I know John, you are, you know, the Syracuse lacrosse guy of orange fizz. And I'm sure you had big hopes and dreams for 2023. You know, what a, a lineup would look like. And now Tucker Dordovic is gone. You know, Mikey Berkman may not have had a great end of the season, but he is also now gone. And I, I just, is, is it disappointing? Is it disheartening? Like, like, what is the word to describe the emotions of the, you know, the events since the end of the season for Syracuse? I wouldn't say I had big hopes for 2023, but any kind of sliver of hopes that I had and any Syracuse fans had can now be kissed away. Um, this program's in a lull. I think that's how I would describe it. No talent, nobody back next year, 
question marks on question marks on question marks. I made this analogy previously. It's like a 100 question multiple choice test. I mean, nobody knows the answers. Nobody knows what this team is going to look like next year. And they're kind of banking on just the young guys coming in and stepping up, the young guys coming in and just getting baptized by fire. I don't really know. Um, the program's in a really bad spot. And I feel like this past season just did not help at all. I mean, you're losing all the talent you have. You're losing even more talent to the transfer portal. If you missed some of the news, Tucker Dordovic's gone. Mikey Berkman's gone. Jack Savage is gone. What Syracuse uh, thought would be its next FOGO. And there's more players that are leaving that we can't announce, but are going to be announced in the next couple of weeks. The program is just, I don't know. It's in a lull. I really have no other way to describe it. And this is a construction project, if you will, that's going to last for three to four years. A lot of people think this incoming class with Joey Spolina and all these other five stars, the fourth best class, the 2022 cycle is going to instantly fix things. No, no, it takes at least two or three good recruiting cycles and some good moves in the transfer portal to build up a program. So, you know what? I would not be surprised at all if this team goes winless in the ACC next year. It's just the doorman wow. of the conference right now. Wow. I, I am shocked to hear those words out of your Really? Mouth. Which team would they beat? I, I, I don't I know. I'm not scoring. Did you think they would beat Duke this year? I did not. I didn't have that as a win. I had them beating okay. Virginia, but uh, no, I mean, they're not going to beat a single ACC team next year. Even if Hiltz returns healthy? Yeah, I mean, you need more than one player. Because think about this. I mean, you've got Hiltz, you got Spolina, you got Burt Whistle at attack. That's that's a pretty good unit. Not the best, but it's it's formidable for the ACC for college lacrosse. Who the heck is playing midfield for this team? It was going to be Tucker Dordovic. He's gone. He's no longer there. On defense, you got one returning guy, and Nick Kakemo at close. You got Brandon Avila as maybe. We don't even know if he's going to stay. Back at short stick defensive midi, Max Rosa's back. I'm not a big fan of Rosa, though. And you got Bobby Gavin Harrison Thompson. Neither of those two guys grabbed a hold of that starting job ever. So yeah. you look from the left side of the field to the right side of the field, the right side of the field, to the left side of the field, you have no idea what this team is going to look like next year. And that's kind of a problem. So who, who would you say is most at blame for this then? I think it's Desco. I wrote an article on this previously. Just the way he recruited from 2016, that uh, 16 was fine. 17 to 21 was awful. Um, you had one top 10 recruit. It was Owen Hiltz. You had 19 top 100 guys between those years. But I've said this before, you know, just look at Notre Dame and Virginia. I think of the two teams. They had 14 top 100 commits both of them, between the 19 and 20 classes. So they're bringing in talent left and right. And it should come as no surprise as to why they're putting up 22 to six score lines. And, you know, they're, they're beating Syracuse year in and year out. It's because they have talent. John Desco, for whatever reason, couldn't bring that talent in. He didn't get the on-field results that this team needed. The Orange haven't won the ACC tournament since 2016. They haven't put up the successful numbers to draw recruits in. Because you know what? Think about this. You're in between North Carolina and Syracuse. Those are your top two teams. You think about Chapel Hill. It's warm, beautiful campus, you know, good program, good place. We time. get it. We get it. You went to Chapel Hill one time and you <laughs> fall in love with the place. Hey, man. Um, and then you think about Syracuse, though, where it snows eight, eight months out of the year and it's always windy and it's always cold. I mean, the only reason I would want to play at SU is if the program is turning out championships left and right. And quite frankly, they just haven't done that the past half decade. So I don't know. Yeah, I, that's a fair point. You really can't argue with that. 
Um, and, and it is on Desco. He, his recruiting really lacked, and that is what is setting this. I, I think Gary will do Gate will do good things, but it's going to take longer than people think. I agree with you. Yeah, it's going to take three to four years. He said this year he was kind of taking a laid back approach, watching how the coaches would coach and stuff, and then he's going to make adjustments next year. I mean, I say to hell with that. I mean, what are we doing? Why not make the adjustments during your first season? If you see something that can be corrected, why not fix it? Now, obviously, I'm not at practice every day and stuff, although I wish I could be. Um, I don't know. I mean, the jury's still out on him. I don't think you could put a whole lot of stock in what happened this year just because of how bad the, of a position the program was in. And really, you know, they had a good season. They just didn't execute. I know it's the word that kind of signifies the whole year. Um, you know, if they get a couple things to go their way this year, they could have finished seven and seven or even nine and four instead of what ended up being four and 10. So, you know, a lot of people thought he would come in at least do something, show people that this program has some kind of life, show show them that they have some kind of a pulse that didn't happen. I, unless you count the Duke game as, as a pulse, I guess. And that pops up on your radar, whatever the heart monitor thing is. I don't know. Um, but I think you're really going to see what Gary Gate is made of and what this Syracuse program will be come 2023, no, no, yeah. 2024. You're going to yeah. have to give him two years. I agree with you. Uh, no qualms from me. So the Syracuse men's team in a really bad spot. One team that's in a really good spot. Well, good-ish. I mean, they have really high standards over on the Syracuse women's lacrosse side of things. That's where we're going next for topic number four. Number four. All right. So the NCAA tournament getting going for the women's lacrosse team as well the orange had a disappointing finish in the acc tournament a loss to virginia in the quarterfinals a lot of people thought they would at least make it to the semis and see boston college but su coming up short now they didn't fall that far in the rankings which surprised me a little bit um and su solidified or secured rather the number five national seed in this tournament and honestly looking at the bracket i really like the draw that they got. They got a first-round matchup against Fairfield. If they win that, they'll see either Massachusetts or Princeton. But before we get into the matchups here, I think we need to discuss the scuttlebutt here. Um, Syracuse played well enough, earned the recognition, the distinction, of hosting a first-round and second-round game for the NCAA tournament. But instead, they're going to have to travel out to Princeton to play these games because there are not enough hotel rooms in Syracuse to host everybody. What the heck? graduation takes precedent whatever women's lacrosse rules this campus uh apparently not and uh that's why uh these teams will have to travel down to new jersey but i do want to give a shout out to fairfield university only about 10 to 15 minutes from my house back home (laughs) so uh it it is the uh the syracuse versus the local school for me It, it is a matchup that really does hit close to home what's their mascot the uh the stags Stags? What, what yes. The stag? Uh, like a deer. A deer. Okay. I mean, I, I was just at the zoo and I didn't see any of those. So. Oh, I love the zoo. John Eads and Ethan Frank talking Syracuse women's lacrosse here on Fizz 5, our fourth topic. Reminder, as always, you can find our content at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. So I mentioned what SU would see if they get by the Stags of Fairfield. They would see either Massachusetts or Princeton in the second round. At the bottom of the bracket, same quadrant, is Notre Dame, a fellow ACC opponent, and Michigan. And then Central Michigan, hey, I mean, I'm going to give a shout-out to these guys because they're about an hour or so from where I live back home, the Chippewa. They're taking on Northwestern, the fourth national seed. Now, this draw was as good as Syracuse could have asked for, Diesel, because in the other quadrants, you got Stony Brook, who is the national 
eight seed. That's kind of low for them, honestly. Yeah. Um, and they played Syracuse really tough. They gave them a the game. Year. Yep. I was there for, I was in the dome for that game. They gave them a really, really good shot. It was a one goal game. I think really came down yep. to the wire. Um, yep. Then UNC's the number one national seed in that bracket. You don't want to see them if you're Syracuse. On the other side, there's Maryland and Florida. The Orange lost to Florida down in Gainesville earlier this season. Haven't seen Maryland, but uh, they've been a force to be reckoned with this year. Yeah. And Big then on the other champs. side, you've got the sixth seed, Loyola, Maryland, who Syracuse played and beat, but another close game. And then Boston College, the team that just beat Syracuse and Chestnut Hill. So I think it's the best. Um, it worked out the best for Kayla Trainer and company because they've already played Northwestern this year. And I know the Wildcats won, but that was a game that Syracuse is winning by three in the closing stages of the contest. And they kind of let the lead slip. So, you know, I think this is the best path, the most likely path that Syracuse could take to get some Memorial Day weekend in the final four. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I, I think they will have a good shot. Um, I don't think playing at Princeton will affect them that much. No. Um, just because of the talent level, this team has had to deal with so many injuries. They've been through so much. And maybe this Virginia loss is really, really the kick in the rear that will send them in the right direction um, and be that wake up call that they need to be like, okay, enough futzing around. Let's uh, let's go do this thing. So round one gets going on the 13th at four o'clock. And then if Syracuse wins that matchup, the next one comes this weekend, I believe the 15th. Yep, Friday, Friday, Friday. And then if they win Sunday. That one's at noon. So we'll have more coverage on Fizz 5 of the women's lacrosse team and its quest for a national title. Um, the national quarterfinals would be later on next week, followed by the final four, which is, uh, of course, more of a weekend. But, um, you know, we're probably not going to be on the air together, Diesel, until this team maybe makes the final four, makes the national yep. title, knock on wood. How far do you think the Orange go in this year's NCAA tournament? I think they're going to make the final four. I think they get revenge on Northwestern. But I think the road ends in the final four. I, I just the, the loss of talent is too much to overcome when you look at Emma Tyrell, Emma Ward, and Sierra Cockrell. Megan Carney, I don't know if she's at 100%. She's been in and out of the lineup all year. And that's just asking too much to put on the shoulders of Megan Tyrell and Emily Harris. Chuck, I think they have a ride to the final four in them in Kayla Trainer's first season, but I don't see them winning at all. A lot of people think Princeton could upset Syracuse. I've seen that on a, on a couple of brackets on Twitter today. I think SC will get by Fairfield and Princeton, though. They could see Notre Dame. They could see Northwestern there. I think they end up seeing the Wildcats. And I know that, you know, I talked about the close game these two had earlier on in the season. But look, that's when Syracuse is at full strength. They didn't have Sierra Cockrell for the second half of that game, but I don't think it wouldn't have mattered that much. They had Emma Tyrell. That's really what matters. They don't have her now. I don't think Syracuse gets past the national quarterfinals. I know this was the best draw for them. Um, I don't think they would make it even that far in any of the other quadrants had they ended up there. But I have this team falling in the national quarterfinals as well, not making Memorial Day weekend or the national championship. And it's a little disappointing because this team definitely had the pieces and the talent to get there, but yep. the injury bug bit them again, just like last year. Agree. Yeah, 100%. But no matter what happens, you guys should definitely follow along because this is the best sport that Syracuse has to offer right now. The Syracuse women's lacrosse team in action on Friday this week at 4 p.m. taking on Fairfield. You can follow along uh, their Twitter at Cuse Wallax. We might have a little bit of coverage ourselves at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter. But let's round out this week's edition of Fizz 5 by going to the basketball court. Number five. All right, topic number five, we're talking SU men's hoops. Ethan Frank, our very own, wrote a nice article about some comments that Jim Beheim made at his annual basketball gala. A lot of those having to do with Benny Williams. Yeah, uh, Benny is officially back. You know, Beheim talked about how it was his birthday. 
and uh, how he's going to shock the world. Wow. Uh, I'm excited to see it because I have a lot of faith that Benny is going to be good. He is probably going to start. Um, and, and, but the real, if Benny Williams is good, Syracuse has a chance to be good. It can't just be Joe Girard and Jesse Edwards. They need that third person. And I think Benny as a returner, it's hard to rely on freshmen. You know, you'll have Judah Mintz, you'll have Justin Taylor, you'll have Chris Bunch. I think those will be the three main, you know, offensive contributors from this freshman class. But you need Benny, someone who knows the system and has had a year of tutelage under Autry, Beheim, McNamara, and company to get acclimated. Agreed. But I don't put a ton of stock in what Coach Beheim says anymore <laughs> because last year he said he had the best shooting backcourt or whatever that he's ever had in all of his years in the Hill. And I know Buddy Beheim and Cole Swider and Joe Girard can light it up, but. I mean, that same backcourt didn't get Syracuse even into the NCAA tournament. Oh, that's because their defense that's because their defense was terrible. They had a top 20 offense on Ken Palm. Their defense was just in the 200s. So it, it's he wasn't wrong. It's fair. just that their defense was terrible. Okay, that's fair. I'll bite the bullet on that one. Um, but what I'm saying is I'm a little hesitant. I'm pumping the brakes a little bit because obviously a little bit of that is coach speak and they're hyping up their players and all. Yeah. Look, I mean uh, I'll, I'll see it when I I'll believe it when I see it with Benny Williams. I know he had that light, nice little flash in the pan against Duke last year where he put up double digit points, but that was in a big time loss to the Blue Devils. So I'm on the same wavelength as you, though. I think Syracuse really didn't have that defensive presence at the three spot last year. And Benny, of course, could play the three or the four. So I think if he can yeah. elevate his game in year number two, this team would definitely benefit. I think what's more important for this team is what they get at the one. I think Joe Girard's going to slide to the two. Judah Mintz, Kodir Copeland, Samir Torrance, I think those guys, their success level, what they bring to the table is more important come this uh, winter. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I believe Judah Mintz is going to start. I think that is part of the promise that Behan got him to commit on is that he's going to start at point guard and Joe will be the two. And I think Samir will play good minutes off the bench. Um but the real question, so I think that will be the three-guard rotation, and maybe you'll see some Quadir Copeland. Maybe you'll see Justin Taylor. He can play the two or the three. But the real question for me is backup center because Frank Anselm's That's gone. He's transferring to question. Georgia. Yep. And Beheim said, where are you going to find someone who's going to come in and be a backup? That's why people are in the transfer portal anyway because they want to go somewhere and be a starter. You need basically what you're looking for is someone to come and, and will get 10 to 15 minutes because Jesse is going to inevitably get in foul trouble. So you're going to need someone to play 20, 10 to 15 minutes, maybe 20 on a day where, you know, maybe Jesse doesn't have it and consistently give, you know, effort and energy, you know, set screens, roll to the basket, finish, make free throws on the offense and defensive ends of the court. It's just where are you finding that person? That is an extremely difficult ask for someone with those specific abilities, because there's no chance Peter Carey is coming in and being the backup center after two years of not playing basketball. John Bullock, Beheim has said he's strictly a forward, and from what we've seen at forward, I don't think he would be a good center at all. So maybe you know they're going to go to man lineups. Jesse's out, and they're going to play small. That's something I wrote about that I think would be really interesting. You know, maybe a lineup of Torrance, Mince, Gerard, and you know either Taylor, Bunch, and Benny, and you have Benny as the biggest guy on the court, and you're just running five out on offense and on defense. You're manning up and you're matching up. Uh, it may not work against a team you know like Duke or North Carolina that have dominant big men, but against other ACC teams, I think that could be really interesting trying to spread the floor. I was thinking about that 
them going small. I think they could do that. I think that could work. We saw it a little bit in that game against Duke where Syracuse almost beat the Blue Devils in the ACC tournament. So that's interesting. I mean, the, the perfect guy for the backup center spot was Quincy Ballard, but he chose Wichita State over Syracuse for whatever reason. I don't know if he's yeah. going to start as a shocker, but whatever. Um, two more things regarding this gal and some quotes he made that I want to get your opinions on. So I'll start with the recruiting. Um, he mentioned the fact that he thinks a lot of his players, a lot of his recruits are really underrated. There's been, oh, talk I'm recently. shocked. I'm shocked to hear him say that. Right. Right. Now what's he going to say that they're, they're overrated. Right. Um, but recently they've, a couple of them have been experiencing dips in the rankings. They're, they're dropping out of the top 100. They're dropping below and below. Um, so how would you evaluate this incoming class? I, it provides great depth and it, it sets a really good foundation for the future. I think four of the six guys will play and that's Mintz, Taylor, Bunch, and Brown. I, I could see Copeland getting minutes if, you know, maybe there's an injury, but he is the fourth guard at this point. I, I really like to classify this team as guards, wings, and bigs. So when I think of guards, I'm thinking Mintz, Torrance, Gerard, and Copeland. And Copeland is easily fourth on that list. You know, Beheim barely plays three guards. So I don't really see a situation where he goes to a fourth guard. Then you have your wings. You got Benny. You got Chris Bunch. You got Justin Taylor. I think those are the three main guys. I slot Malik Brown at 6'9 in as a forward, as a big. Because he he's a bigger body, he's got a high motor. He plays in the point. paint, right? He he plays in the paint. He doesn't really have that much of an outside perimeter game yet. So I really slot him as a big, even though he'll be at that forward position. So then you have you know Jesse Carey, Peter Carey, John Bolajock down there. I, I, I see a lot of minutes for Justin Taylor and Chris Bunch. That, that is what, what I'm seeing. Yeah, I think Bunch could come in and play the three or the four. He could take many spot, and then Taylor should be that guy. At, two or potentially three. Um, so we'll see on that. I think they have a lot of pieces and maybe coach Bam's not capping about that one. Um, yep. The last thing that he talked about was the fact that he thinks this team has everything it needs. He, he doesn't think he needs to go back into the transfer portal to get anybody. Look, I mean, this squad has two scholarship spots left. So uh, what do you think? They need a backup do? center. He, yeah. he, they need a backup center. There's no way around that. You cannot go. He said it late, later in the week on uh, Eric Devendorf's show on, uh, I believe it was ESPN Syracuse or, or Q Sports Talk, Yeah, that it, they need a back. You can't go into the year without a backup center. They're going to have to find one, but that's going to be a very difficult task. Well, we'll find if they do. There's not a lot of bodies left in the transfer portal, willing bodies at that for that backup center job, but we'll continue to monitor that situation. Clock is definitely ticking, though, but we'll have the coverage of that at orangefizz.net and at orangefizz on Twitter, but that's it for Ethan Frank and myself, John Eads. Thanks so much for tuning in. Ethan, before we go, you have any final thoughts? Anything else you want to get on the table here? No, I feel like I really, I really said it all. Uh, I have faith in basketball. I don't have faith in football and I've got a little faith in wow. lacrosse. Nope. That's crazy. I'm more so faith in football, no faith in basketball, but that's just I'm always, I'll always believe in Jim Bay. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I just hate to, end the podcast and have you, you know, have some words in your mouth that you want to get out. And I don't give you the opportunity. So I'm glad I did. I think we could both agree. No faith in the lacrosse program, the men's, the men's side of that, at least. So I don't know. know. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Kind of in a lull right now, football season coming up in the fall, basketball season in the winter, and it's May Syracuse lacrosse, not in action at all, but our coverage still rolls on at orangefizz.net at orangefizz on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in. Once again, we will see you guys next week with the next edition of fizz five.
And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.